0: welcome to the biz times mke podcast and our weekly debrief i'm arthur thomas managing editor at biz times media andrew wyland is away this week uh attending a national conference for our magazine trade association uh so i'm joined only by meredith meyer this time's associate editor meredith how's it going
1: it's going pretty well it's been a week that's for sure arthur and i've been really holding down the fort here while andrew's Definitely. gone So, yeah, (laughs) we're uh, holding on,
0: holding down things and and keeping it going. So, we are, we're glad it's Friday. We'll be glad when we get uh, Andrew back in the office next week. Uh, But until then, we're going to talk about some news um, and uh, talk about some of the stuff we wrote this week. So, we'll dive right into our insider story spotlight. Uh, This is a chance for us to highlight some of the stories that were available only to BizTimes insiders. If you are an insider, thank you very much. We really do appreciate that support. It helps make our work possible. Um, If you are not an insider, consider signing up for the equivalent of $8 a month. You can get access to all of our stories, discounted event registration, other benefits, uh, a lot to um, get there. Meredith, what is your insider story spotlight this week?
1: I am selfishly plugging my cover. Um, it's the cover of the current issue of our magazine, Times Milwaukee. Um, and it is a Q& A with Helen Johnson Leopold, who is um, the CEO and chair of uh, Johnson Outdoors and the chair of Johnson Financial Group um she is part of the um the sc johnson family um you know the family that started sc johnson which is obviously one of the largest privately held companies um in certainly the state but also nationally yeah um but she sits on the chair of that company um or I'm sorry, she sits on the board of that company. Um, but she really is um heading up the, the two other companies that her father, Sam Johnson, founded. And um she is a very accomplished um corporate leader, and um we sat down together um in her office uh in, in Racine, the at the Johnson building, and talked about a lot of different things. Um you know family business was was a big theme um for our conversation and and just kind of learning about um the lessons that she learned from her father um she succeeded him in all three of his roles and those roles were um chairman and ceo of johnson outdoors chairman of um johnson financial group and then they also have a, a a foundation the Johnson Foundation at Wingspread. Um and so she she's the the chairman of that as well. So she took on these three pretty big leadership roles um back in the late 90s and um early um 2000s and um yeah, she she clearly has um a lot of experience um Leading these companies, and um, it was really fascinating to hear just about her ideas and um, her perspectives around innovation and sort of um, working with the next generation of um, professionals that are coming up through the workforce now, and um, you know how diversity is kind of a, a big priority. Her and how it's um, you know very important to incorporate lots of different ideas and um, perspectives into her companies and um, you know because that really does spark innovation um, and ultimately she she just really has a, a passion for what she does. She's sixty five years old and she. You know she loves coming to work every day, basically she told me, and um, she loves what she does. She also has a son now um she has she has five sons, actually, and one of them, connor, his name is is uh now working at johnson outdoors um and yeah, he would be i guess you know considered the sixth generation of of family that's in the business that has been in the business for all these. For all the years that um, the Johnson family empire, business empire has been around. And it kind of remains to be seen whether he'll rise to be a leader. She was um, a little hesitant to talk about what's coming up next for kind of the next generation of family leadership um, because she doesn't want to speak for a different generation. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, she was pretty like earnest and humble in that way. Um, but, she, you know she said she really enjoys working with her son now just as she loved working with her dad and um you know she she loves having um family come into the business so um yeah it was a really really interesting conversation and you can find lots more from it um check out my cover story so yeah
0: yeah i thought the the elements about kind of that next generation Uh, Both her kind of like, I'm not going to speak for the next generation, you know, they got to find, figure out what they want to do. And then also Mm -hmm. the, uh, the need for the next generation to always kind of bring fresh ideas, bring something new, bring innovation to the business, um, that it's not just kind of a given that goes from one generation to the next. That's Mm -hmm. probably one of the keys for a business lasting to fifth generation, sixth generation, maybe, um, because it's. Not all family businesses make it that far, uh, certainly.
1: Right. And even just like, you know, outside of the family, you know, her kind of open mind that she brings to listen to maybe younger employees um, about their ideas around remote work and um, work flexibility and different innovative ideas. Like that's important for, for any business, whether you're a family business or not is, you know, for leaders to be able to like really hear the needs and the, in the ideas of, um, you know, the next generation. So.
0: Mm-hmm. So we'll switch over to my insider story spotlight this week. Uh, and it's when I wrote um, continuing the uh, selfishly plugging their own work, but <laughs> Hey, why not? Um, so I wrote uh, about the new CFO at Briggs and Stratton, Uh, which has been going through a lot of different leadership change over the last uh, two years or so since having gone through the bankruptcy process and emerging out of that. um, The leadership has kind of all been turning over. So they named a new CFO. uh, Her name is Christina Cerniglia. Uh, She comes to the company from uh, Indiana-based Hillenbrand, uh, where she was CFO um, and Hill Brand is an interesting company uh, because they're described as a global diversified industrial company and they make a bunch of different things. Um, but the one that caught my eye as I was pulling the story together is uh, they do uh, caskets, um, urns, containers, different products for the death care industry, as how they describe it in their, uh, their corporate documents, um, and just... Found it really interesting to kind of look through some of their security filings, uh, and the 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 Batesville business, which which is what does the the caskets and the the urns and things. Um, their 2021 six hundred and twenty three million dollars in revenue, and a gross profit of two hundred twenty five million, um, both up um, from the prior year. And, uh, you know, they described how it was because of a higher volume driven by increase in burial casket sales, primarily due to higher estimated deaths associated with the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, So just when we think about the pandemic and how it shaped different businesses, um, you know, some were up, some were down. Uh, Although some of that uh, increased revenue was offset by more families opting for cremation, apparently. So, um just some interesting details not all those really made it into the story about the Briggs CFO not necessarily germane to that but just interesting details that I'd share here on the podcast for our listeners um some interesting background so um we'll not sure how to exactly transition out of discussion about caskets and urns um <laughs> i suppose the connection here is that we were digging through this uh that securities filing and uh, we did some more um, digging through SEC documents uh, for our big story of the week, which uh, as is tradition whenever Meredith it is on the podcast it seems uh, we must be talking about Coles if if Meredith is on so um, yes. <laughs> Meredith we had Cole's news this week um, let's let's start here what what did what the, what was the news that we learned about Coles this week? What did they come out with?
1: Yeah, so the crux of the news was um, that Kohl's has entered into um, basically a period of three weeks of negotiations with um, this Ohio-based uh, public publicly traded company called Franchise Group, and um, basically the, they're negotiating whether or not you know it would be viable for a Franchise Group to purchase Coals. Um, it's no secret that. Kohl's has been kind of considering, you know, pursuing a sale of all of the company or parts of the company that's been going on since the beginning of the year. And they've engaged with uh, about 25 parties, um, you know, since January. That's kind of the recent numbers that we have, the latest numbers. Um, So I, I don't think that Kohl's has entered into. Kind of this type of you know agreement where it's exclusive with any other company I, I mean yeah it wasn't publicly disclosed if they did but they probably would have had to publicly disclose that so um the, for some reason you know uh they see maybe some potential here with with franchise groups so that was kind of the news of it and it'll as i said it'll take three weeks and um you know they have both said that you know this an agreement like any sort of agreement or you know the the moving forward of a sale would have to be approved by both cole's board of directors and franchise groups a board of directors and you know nothing is guaranteed just because they're entering into this exclusive um negotiation period does not mean that you know, there will for sure be a sale at the end of this. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: sort of interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's kind of the most serious indication we've gotten. I mean, there's been a lot of thought ever since January when this whole process kind of kicked off. Um, people will recall there was an activist investor pushing Kohl's to consider a sale and pushing to kind of mm-hmm. remake the Kohl's board of directors. Um, And there's been kind of a thought like, oh, Kohl's is kind of slow walking this they want to just get through their annual meeting get their board re-elected and then the sale process will kind of die off um well this we got past the annual meeting cole's management and board current board won out or the activist investor uh but they're still considering a sale and this is kind of a you know it's a common step in m&a process type things where you say okay you know we've we've looked at a bunch of offers. We think here's the best. We think we can get to the finish line. Let's agree to be exclusive on this negotiation. So we're not, you know, matching people against each other in some way or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Also interesting uh, franchise group in their confirmation of this um, negotiation period said they are uh, the way they would plan to fund this deal, which they're offering about $60 a share uh, which ends up being around eight billion uh, total price for for Kohl's, which is actually less than the offers Kohl's had in the beginning of the year, which were reportedly sixty four or sixty five dollars a share. Um, which you might say, well, they've they've lost out on that. Well, maybe they did, but it's a question of whether those deals were feasible at the time. You know, was it, it something you can offer? You know, I can offer sixty five dollars a share right now. I don't have nine billion laying around for. Um, to purchase coals, uh, So, um, you know, the, it's a question of getting the finance together. Franchise group in announcing this said they would do about a a billion dollars in additional um, debt um, on their current, I think, uh, debt. And then uh, the remaining 7, million, 7 billion mm-hmm. um, would uh, kind of be come from, secured by, exactly 100% clear as to how they would handle it, but basically based off the Kohl's real estate, um, which there's been a a push by the activist investor group that Kohl's should um, sell and then lease back their real estate to kind of free up a bunch of capital that is currently tied up in owning buildings. So um, at least there's kind of a plan of how this would get to the finish line. Um, But I think there's a broader question of like, How does this all make sense? Um, So you dug into this a little bit in some of your coverage this week, Meredith. What do we know about franchise group, who they are, what they do? And, you know, do we know anything about how that kind of fits with Kohl's?
1: Yeah, so this, to me, seems like an interesting fit, you know, if they were to go forward with the deal. They're just two very... (laughs) different companies um the way franchise group describes itself is like they own and operate um franchised and franchisable businesses um and they have five brands pet supplies plus american freight the vitamin shop badcock home and furniture and more home badcock home furniture and more and buddy's home furnishings. Um and they also own Sylvan Learning. Um so that oh man that's like six brands, yeah. Um so it's it, it's kind of interesting because Kohl's is a huge business. I mean um they just just with their you know just their brand has um a thousand one hundred and sixty five um locations, department stores across the US, forty-nine states. Um and you know, they also have eighty-two point two million selling square feet of of like store footprint basically. Um and they're both publicly traded companies that's one thing they have in common um but all the brands within franchise group just are much smaller than um the Kohl's brand is um so it, it just it's it's an interesting it's an interesting pairing there um and i'll pull up some of these numbers um About locations for, um, each of the brands. And I think the other thing to note too is they have had, um, you know, some success this in the past, um, fiscal year in in 2021. Um, as maybe readers have heard, you know, pet kind of products have really skyrocketed during the pandemic. So, um, they attributed um, kind of their success last year to that trend. Um, so their total revenues for fiscal 2021 um, were $3.26 billion, and that was up 60% from 2020. Um, so, in, in the earnings as well um, were $363.8 million. Um, which that was a very large jump from 2020s earnings of 25.1 million. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, but Kohl's of course is what, like an 18 billion in revenue company. Um, so it just gives you a sense of the difference in size and scale here. Um, I mean, we were joking before, I mean, how many vitamin shop stores could you fit, you know, in a single Kohl's department store, uh, you know, probably quite a few. Um, yeah. In terms of different size. Um, well, you know, I will say, you know, I'm a, a, I'm a pet supplies plus, plus customer, um, or at least, you know, heading there once a month to pick up dog food. Um, so, you know, maybe this deal can come together and I can figure out a way to, my Kohl's cash can be used at pet supplies plus and I can get a dis you know, a little cheaper, uh, price on my, uh, my froms, um, for, for my dogs. But, <laughs> I'm not going to cross my fingers for that.
1: (laughs) That would be innovative.
0: Um,
1: yeah, yeah. But no, all, all of the brands like vitamin shop, the total number of stores across the country is 712 or 711, Um, pet supplies plus 602. Um, American freight is 367. Um, so all of these brands are so much smaller than
0: mm-hmm. Kohl's. Um,
1: yeah.
0: so yeah. That's the part that I think is a lot of you a big question care. of how does this all fit together? Um, and then you think there's another interesting element to think about, um, you know, they, uh, being franchise group has, you know, right up high in, in their, in their securities filings, talk about, um, offering their brands a shared services platform that allows us to drive economies of scale, efficiencies, and best practices. Um, So that, you know, I'm assuming that means some of the kind of the back office or overhead related things um, that comes with running a company, um, which, you know, certainly help would help, you know, these, this family of brands and kind of help improve profitability. But then you start wondering, how does that, again, how does that fit with the big operation that Kohl's already has, and what would that mean for, um, especially when we think about locally at the impact, what would that mean for, you know, local corporate presence um, if, you know, work is going to Ohio or work is going somewhere else um, on a shared services model? Um, you know, that's where, from a local perspective, it starts going, what does this mean? um for for the region we've talked about this in the podcast before but you know coles is a big corporate citizen uh Mm -hmm. for southeastern wisconsin and a big donor to a lot of nonprofits and both in in dollars and i think volunteer hours and things like that so something to keep in mind as we think about this
1: yeah and i think i've stated this on the podcast before but it's just worth like reminding people that so um in southeastern Wisconsin, Colts has 20 stores total and 5,000 employees. And then across the state, they have a total of 42 stores and nearly 7,000 employees. So that just gives you an indication of like what a major employer they are. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing too, that I wanted to add that kind of gave me pause about, you know, learning about kind of, you know, the initial, um, you know discussions about this potential deal as the the real estate piece um you know obviously a franchise group didn't really provide many more specifics other than you know they would kind of use the value of Cole's real estate as um as leverage for the majority of funding for the purchase um but Cole that's kind of like a the, the real estate thing is sort of a, um, a difficult topic for Kohl's. I mean, they've, they've, they've really, um, sort of knocked down any suggestions of sale lease from, uh, Macellum, Um, the activist investor who, who kept kind of like pushing that idea every time they'd be like, no, we don't, we don't want to sell our real estate. Um, you know, I think there's a certain clause or something that doesn't allow them to do that, even. So they would, I don't really know how all that works, but.
0: Have to rework they some financing want, they, and debt. Yeah. Been,
1: yeah. They've been very anti sale lease back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just was thinking like that's a little bit interesting that now this kind of topic is coming up again of like, oh, Cole's real estate is. You know could be so valuable and it's it's been it's been estimated i think by misalem um to be worth seven to eight billion dollars um because Kohl's owns 400 of the properties um that they operate stores within and again they operate um just over 1100 stores across the country and mm-hmm. you know 400 of them um you know they own that real estate so it is a valuable asset and um you know i could see where a company like franchise group like that would be a, a smart thing i guess for for them to do it would make sense but um but kohl's has said repeatedly that they're not up for any sort of like sale spectrum tran- transactions yeah. so it'll be interesting to see what happens here
0: yeah and as we i think we've mentioned before you know the they may not be up for it, but at some point when you're a publicly traded company, uh, there, be, there comes a price. Um, and, you know, I just looked it up, you know, coal stock today ended up around $45. And this offer is apparently around $60 a share. Um, and, you know, if, you're, if someone's offering you a premium, um, that's more than what you think your um, business plan can get you to. Uh, you kind of have to pull the trigger at some point um as a publicly traded company because you have certain certain responsibilities to shareholders, so that 's something to keep an eye on uh this three week timeline is something to keep an eye on the corporate impact um, locally something to keep an eye on and i 'm sure Meredith will be keeping an eye on all of that uh for the next next few weeks so we'll we'll leave it there for this I'll week the (laughs) BizTimes MKE podcast and our weekly debrief. Meredith, thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you, Arthur. It was fun.
0: This is Dan Meyer with BizTimes Media. You've been listening to the BizTimes MKE podcast. For more business news and insights, be sure to go to biztimes.com and subscribe to any of our daily e-newsletters and our magazine, BizTimes Milwaukee.